Thank you, Father, for the, the privilege of fellowship and the, 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 the blessing of opening your word. So, Lord, uh, open our eyes to see the wonderful things out of your law. Just uh, may, may your mercies be new here, and uh, may you give us a... Um, just, uh, uh, just may the Spirit work in our hearts to illumine our minds and to help us to know the Scriptures and then know how to apply them, all to the glory of your wonderful name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we've been looking at godly decision-making, how to make godly decisions, how to make biblical decisions, how to know God's will. Important topic, isn't it? I don't have to tell you decisions are important. You guys know that already. You're in the thick of it. You're in the crucible. You're running through the fire. Sometimes it feels like you're on the hot coals, right? I mean, it's decisions on steroids. And it's like, how do I do this? How do I handle that? Why am I so anxious? What's the right decision? God, how can I get help? And I know a lot of you guys, and I'm getting to know you. I, I know so many of your hearts. You, you want to do what God has to say, and you want to do what's right, and you want to please him. And boy, this area of decision-making is not like a silo on its own. Well, I'll serve God over here, and I'll make decisions over there. Man, that goes hand in hand. The Christian life is filled with decisions. And sometimes we make sinful, bad ones, and sometimes we make good and righteous ones. How do I make good decisions for God? How do I know his will? How do I know how to take step by step and how to please him in what I decide to do? How do I make right decisions when, when the decision really isn't something right or wrong? And I got three, three choices up in front of me. How do I choose? How does God lead me? What's a, what's a wise way of handling that? And as Christians, we might want to even ask ourselves the question, Does God intend for us to know his will? Just chew on that a little bit. We're here learning about how to know God's will, and I'm asking a question, does God intend for us to know his will? Well, let's think about that a little bit. Let's peel that back a little bit. Now, we know the scriptures are the revelation of God, right? And so to know his word is to know his will. As we know his word, God has revealed himself. He's he's given it to us in the scripture that the God-breathed words of God, and to know his word is to know his will. But more specifically here, does God intend to show us the steps we are to take? Specific directions for specific actions. Or as Joel James said it well, is it God's will to know his will? Let me help you understand this a little bit more. Sometimes when we're looking or trying to find or discern God's will, we might kind of liken it to a treasure map in our minds, right? I mean, I've used to watch those movies when you were younger. Maybe you still do. You know, a little pirate movie, and you want to be a pirate, and they got the map, and they're looking for the treasure, and X marks the spot, right? And you're looking for the palm tree or, you know, something, some kind of landmark to find the elusive treasure, or in our case here in our topic, we're looking where X marks the spot where God's will is revealed or is to be found for your next big step in life. And I just find the X. If I follow the map properly, if I follow the clues God gives me along the way in the heavenly signposts and the heavenly landmarks, and if I meander away and just follow God well enough, I'll find that X and I'll be in his will. Right? 
like a treasure map. And there's some problems, some big problems, when we are tempted to look for signs and clues from God, trying to find his leading in some way where he really intends for you to do. And, of course, this way plays out, um, the way this plays out, if I truly locate the X of God's will for me, let's say you don't find that X. Let's say you're not sure you found it. Are you out of God's will? Are you destined for second place? Uh, if, if, if I don't find it, am I, am I confined to misery, out of God's will, forfeiting God's blessings, and at best I have to settle for second best, and at worst I'm doomed to uselessness? Showing us the future by revealing by every step and decision is not God's way of leading us with our decisions. God's way for making godly decisions is for his followers to embrace the way of wisdom as shown in his word. Proverbs 1, 1 through 5, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction and wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. Verse 4, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. Wow. It looks like I can know God's will. And what is it according to Solomon? It's knowing the way of wisdom. This is the way God chooses for us to learn and know and do the will of God. Proverbs. Just the book of Proverbs, if we just consider that for a moment. It's God's field manual for making wise decisions in a world that's filled with sinful detours and distractions all along the way. The real treasure, the real X we need to be looking for is the treasure of God's wisdom in his words. Look at Proverbs 2, 1 through 6. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Look at the promises here. The real treasure of what to search for is God's wisdom, not this detailed, choreographed, step-by-step plan that God lays out for us, detailing every decision we're supposed to make. Put your name in this verse. Chet's up here. Chet! If you receive my words, if you treasure my commandments within you, look at this, and you, and, you, and you pay attention to my wisdom, and you incline your heart to this, if you call out to God for wisdom and understanding, if you seek for it and go after it 
and make it your ambition and your goal to know what God has to say. Then you'll understand the fear of the God and you'll find his knowledge. And he'll give you wisdom. He'll give you guidance. He'll give you knowledge. He'll give you understanding. This is our task. What is wisdom? What is it? Well, it's not philosophical speculation. Sometimes we think of wisdom. Oh, the wise one, the old sage who gives mystical advice, right? He gives that mystical advice to that young weed hopper who comes, you know, bowing and looking for direction in, in life as he meanders his way, depending on his keen senses and meditating on his navel somewhere, right? I mean, it's just, it's this kind of etherical, uh, philosophical way of life as we journey and find our way into nothingness, right? Wisdom is much different. I, th- I liked how Fee and Stewart put it in their book, um, I'm trying to remember the name of the book. (laughs) Knowing God's Word for All It's Worth. That's what it is. Great book. Wisdom is not something theoretical or abstract. It is something that exists only when a person thinks and acts according to the truth he or she makes in the many choices that life demands. It's not abstract. It's when you act according to the truth in many choices that life demands demands. Wisdom is taking the knowledge you have and exercising good judgment in a decision or an action. If you want to look at a definition here of wisdom, something I cobbled together, several good sources, it's really skillfully making God-honoring decisions through the purposeful application of God's truth. Making good decisions, skillfully using information, having the right data from God and his word, and then skillfully, properly, orienting through life in a way that uses it well, okay? It's the antithesis of foolishness. Wisdom guards against living outside God's plan. Jim Berg, in his great book, Changed into His Image, he, he had a, a nice example, I thought, in his book, I'll share with you, of how to wrongly and rightly understand wisdom, Okay? In the wrong view of wisdom, we have uh, what we're looking for is this, this bird's eye view of life. I'm 20,000 feet and I'm looking down. I'm maybe like, like the traffic helicopter who's looking at rush hour. And uh, you're like one of those, uh, we don't get that as much here in Lynchburg, uh, maybe when a football game ends or if you're from California, uh, life's a traffic jam, right? Uh, sorry, guys, that uh, you go from uh, L.A. And, and things, but you know what life's like like that. And you're just like, oh, if I could just see from way up there, traffic central, right, I would know where to go, and, and, and I would know the steps I should take. And, and I would have this bird's eye view as to why I'm sitting here in my car, because there's an accident two miles up. Or there's something else over here, there's something else over there, and I would know why I'm sitting here, and then I would know what to do. If I would just clue in and know ahead of time the secret things I can't know unless someone else tells me. And Jim Burr goes on to say, really, wisdom's not like that. God has not promised to disclose these kinds of details, to see firsthand all the driving directions or expect from him to give them to us in order to avoid these problems. 
It's not like tuning in the radio for the traffic report, traffic and weather together, as they might call it, and get the clues as to what's going on. The problem with this is God has not promised to disclose all these details to us, to make sense of all his providential work, especially our trials. In our, in our lives, we want to know the whys. We want to know the outcomes. We want to be assured that everything will work out. And you look the saints, at the saints of old and Abraham to Noah, to Job, to Paul, they rarely had this view as they served and followed God. So Jim Berg goes on to say it's more like the dashboard view. Wisdom, when you're in the car and you're in the traffic and you're the driver and there's a skill exercised by you as a driver, caught in the middle of traffic snarl, making decisions moment by moment with the, with the goal of arriving safely and timely to your intended destination. How close should I follow behind the car in front of me without uh, running into them or pumping the brakes when I need to or weaving around the potholes so I don't damage the car? Decision by decision, applying your knowledge and your wisdom to react properly to what's in front of you. I don't need to know why the traffic stopped or why my car got a flat tire. I just need to know how to skillfully work around the traffic or how to change my flat tire or having my dad's phone number on speed dial (laughs) when I had a flat tire, right? That's wisdom too, right? It's skillfully reacting to the circumstances God providentially puts before you, right? Remember Joseph in the book of Genesis. He didn't know why he was sold to human traffickers or why he was unjustly accused of sexual assault, or why he went to prison for several years, or why he ascended to power as a foreigner in a a foreign land. Instead, he responded to God's providential activities with wisdom to remain useful to God. Now, a caution here, knowledge is not wisdom. Knowledge alone. Now, knowledge is a prerequisite, as we'll be seeing in our lesson today. But if you think about this, and maybe you know by experience, that collecting information is much easier than getting wisdom. Right? And Charles Spurgeon, I think, put it well here. Wisdom, okay, is the right use of knowledge. It's not knowledge alone. To know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal. And all are the greater fools for it. There is not a fool so great a fool as a knowing fool. But to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. Right? He says it's so much better than I ever could. Now, more, more caution here. Old age is not a prerequisite for wisdom. I would venture to say there are many of you here that I've gotten to know that have more wisdom than other people I know that are my age. Age is not a prerequisite. It's having the right information that God gives us and then skillfully learning to apply it. And of course, a fool does not apply what they know. But as you apply what you know, navigating through the decisions and the detours and distractions of life, you're applying wisdom. Now, Another thing to note, wisdom does not mean, the application of wisdom, seeking after wisdom, that God does not perform miracles, all right? 
It's not to say God doesn't work providentially through our circumstances or intervene in ways we could never imagine and that only he could do. It doesn't bring God down to a rational type of uh, a being. And, and all, all our Christian experience is just rationalizing things and making decisions and you know, data coming in and spitting out decisions. No, it's a relationship with God. It doesn't mean we're just making rational, common-sense decisions void of any spirituality. We're going to Scripture here to say this is how you attain knowledge. This is how you obtain insight. This is how you get guidance for wise decision-making. And we do that with God's help and, 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 and God's enabling. Think with me. What did God, what, what did, remember, remember with Solomon when he was asked by God, you know, God asked him, ask me whatever you want and I'll give it to you. That's quite an offer, isn't it? Um, you go back to 1 Kings chapter 3 and it's like, wow, what would I ask for if I was granted? What if Amazon told me that, right? Hmm. <laughs> you might know already or I'd be doing some searching, right? It's like, oh, I could have anything I wanted. And here's, here's God going to Solomon. Solomon, what do you want? I'll give it to you. What does Solomon ask for? Of all the things he could ask for, he asked for wisdom. Listen to 1 Kings 3, uh, starting at verse 10, verse 10 through 12. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this, asking for wisdom. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind. Wisdom. Wisdom. We need God's wisdom. And what we're looking for here is we're making decisions. We're going to look today at five wisdom principles for making godly decisions. Five wisdom principles, okay? Let's start with the first one here. And it's one that's basically a review from last week. Wise decision-making, first of all, trusts in God. Wise decision-making trusts in God. Now, you remember last week, a slide from last week here, trusting God is the essence of biblical decision-making. To truly trust God in my decision-making, I must first convince myself of God's holy character and his promised disposition towards me to the point of making confident and thoughtful decisions by faith and for his glory. Now, you remember the key verse we looked at. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Trust in God. It's the essence of biblical, godly decision-making. And we looked at the importance of camping out here. When there's decisions to make, sometimes we have this temptation. We just want to run and get, get the information we want. Or run and make a quick decision or run and bury my head in the sand and, well, Lord, what do I do? And we, we just start scrambling, right? We're, we're in Matthew 6 and we're anxious and, we're, and we're, we're nervous and we're stressed out. And God calls us to himself. He says, trust me, turn to me, start here. Think of the prayer, the motto prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's where we're taking it here. We're starting here. We're starting about God and his character, who he says to, he is, and then his promised disposition towards us. 
we start with a trusting, fearful attitude towards God. If you remember, we look specifically at six attributes of God. There's others we could surely add to this, but these seem to be quite important. And perhaps you realized that last week if we, as we consider these things, that how to have a confident rest and trust in God. That when I go through the process of making a wise decision, I can entrust my decision with him to work out this mysterious way that God can take my decision and accomplish his sovereign purposes from decreed from eternity past, right? And work them together for his good, holy and sovereign purposes, right? And what do we look at? Goodness. Demonstrating he is... You know, God is good. He demonstrates he's merciful, kind, and benevolent to me in all situations. He's omniscient. He's omniscient. He, he assures me uh, that he fully knows all things, including every detail of my life and circumstance. He knows what I'm going through. He knows what I'm anxious about. He knows what decisions I need to make. He's sovereign. He works all things for my good to accomplish his purposes for me. He's love. He shows he's fully committed to my utmost care and good. He who did not spare his own son, will he not give me all things, right? He's committed to us. He's omnipotent. He ensures he has the power to always succeed in his promises and plans. And he's wise, always choosing the best course of action to always fulfill the results he intends. We can put our trust, we can take our decisions and entrust them to a God like this. And therefore we say, go slow. In other words, pause. Don't run. Don't sprint. Don't run around like the head's chopped off, right? Start by resting and trusting in the God who's made these promises to you. Pray like a psalmist. Turn to the psalms. Depend on him. Pray to him. When life seems like he's totally out of the picture, remind yourself he's not. He's right in the middle of where you are, and he cares for you. He's good towards you. He's loving towards you. He's sovereign, and he's using all those things right now for his good and holy purposes to make you more like Christ. You must convince yourself of these things. We don't want to be a James 4 decision maker. You know, I'm going to run and do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do business here, and I'm going to do business there, and all of a sudden life is gone. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this and that. We, we look to him who controls all things and chooses to use my decisions to accomplish his grand and holy purposes. You who fear the Lord. Remember, the fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom, right? Trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield, Psalm 115, 11. Now, Keep in mind, wisdom has its limits. We, we serve a sovereign God. His ways are hard, higher than our ways, and wisdom in and of itself falls short, okay? It's not just making common sense decisions, and now I have success in life. I figured out, I got all the right information, I know what to do, I'm, I'm navigating through the traffic of life, and now everything's going to be smooth, and the red carpet's rolled out, and life will be great. 
we don't have guarantees of success on our terms. In fact, you see, you see the apostles in Acts making all the right moves and making all the right decisions, and it landed them in prison. <laughs> but they were, in the, they were right in the center of God's will. And you might be thinking, wow, I laid this out. Lord, what are you doing now? And God's purposes and his plans and how he providentially works is not always going to be what we intend or what we planned for or what we expected. And therefore, we trust God who's sovereign and in control and is always uh, the good, omnipotent, wise, loving, all-knowing, powerful God he says he is. All right? One last verse here on this first point. Proverbs 16.20. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. All right? Wisdom, yes, has its limit, but when we serve a sovereign God, we can give thought to his word and discover good and find the blessing of what it means to trust in him. All right? So five wisdom principles for making godly decisions. Next one we're going to look at, not only trusting in God, but wise decision-making asks God for wisdom. It asks him. So we look at, uh, like, James chapter 1, verse 5 of passage you're probably familiar with. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Now, James here is the context of trials, difficulties, challenges in life. Trials of all kinds, or we're to consider it all joy. And there's probably not a one of us that would say, yeah, the decisions I'm facing, the big things I must decide on, deciding on the path I need to go and the choices before me, those are trials. There's no easy answers. I'm struggling with that. It is a trial, but the first thing God tells us to do here is ask for wisdom. Ask him, and he will give it. Look at Psalm 86, verse 11 here. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. When you go through the Psalms, you constantly see this this prayerful dependence And this request for God to show his truth, that I may have a better understanding, and then walk in wisdom. What do we normally pray for when we want to make, need to make a decision? Lord, make things clear. Lord, open or close the door. Lord, just show me a sign. Show me the way. Now, I I don't want to make light of the fact that we pour our hearts out to God when we're in need, and we should. These aren't inherently wrong to ask in this way, to beseech God for help and guidance. But there is more biblical substance to the content of our prayers when we ask for wisdom. And that should be the substance of our prayers when we seek God in his direction. Look how David puts it in Psalm 119. In fact, I'd encourage you to read that psalm. Oh, read it anew and just see how, God, how David prays to God for direction by knowledge and understanding and the application of what God has already said. Look what he says. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. 
Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. When, 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 when David was clinging in the dust, when his back was up against the wall, when he had decisions he had to make and just didn't know where to proceed, he asked for a knowledge and understanding of what God has already revealed. Help me, Lord. Give me wisdom. When uh, I was your age, uh, I was interested in girls, and uh, like many of you guys out there, and uh, I remember finding what I thought was the girl of my dreams, and she was. It was Miss Christie, as you know her. Um, she caught my eye, and like any guy, you look at how she looks first, right? That's what catches your eye first, all right? I, I don't want to over-spiritualize this. But I got to see, as I got to know her, wow, she's a sweet girl. She's an intelligent girl. She's a godly girl. She's just super nice, and I, Rich Brown, would like to date her. One problem, she didn't want to date Rich. Uh, uh, wow, God's will, right? Smack in my face in his providence, right? God had different plans, and um, I uh, wasn't quick to let go of the sweet prize I wanted to have, and Chrissy was too nice to tell me to take a hike, uh, and she was okay. She was okay for us to be friends, and oftentimes that's what we have to do as brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to be your friend, but I don't, I don't want any more than that, and I, I saw counsel and did different things. We won't get into the whole story, but one thing I did do, man, is I prayed. Oh, I prayed. I learned to pray like a psalmist, and it was ripping my heart out for a year, on and off, asking her if she had changed her mind. I wasn't stalking her, okay, but uh, I would check with her. Is everything okay? Is it all right? We would talk. It was, we communicated. It was all on the, the down lows level, and, well, my feelings didn't change, and I chose to just continue to pray and ask and, 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 and seek the Lord, uh, praying like a psalmist, like we see here in Psalm 119, asking for direction, asking for what to do. What, how, how do I make sense, Lord, of, of what your will is from your word? And, and oh, how I prayed that her heart would change, right? I poured out my heart to God. Lord, change her. And the first thing I saw and realized and found is I prayed in the months and the year that transpired was that God didn't change Christie's heart. He changed mine. It was hard. It was hard. God had me right where he wanted me. His providence was perfect. I was not ready. <laughs> Christie was not ready. Um, I I wanted what I wanted, even though I was praying for his will, but I wanted, his, I wanted my will more than his. And over that course of that time, I learned to accept what God's will was and what his timing was, and he changed my heart, really to the point of confessing and humbling myself before God, God, even if I don't have Christy, <laughs> which I've been praying for for a year, I will be happy just with you. And that's really what God wanted. He wanted my heart first not just giving me what I wanted. And, of course, I could, we could go into the story, the rest, of the, the rest of the story. Christy did change her heart. She did change her mind. We won't get into all that because God, God's merciful and gracious, and that's what he chose to do there. But I can look back and see it was God's great goodness that didn't give me what I wanted when I wanted. I learned to pray, and I prayed for wisdom, and he had me wait. 
and he taught me. Are any of you clinging to that dust today, like David says in Psalm 119, 25? A difficult decision that just doesn't have a clear path forward? Do you find yourself in the crucible just feeling the heat of stressful, trying, difficult decisions? Look to God. Pray. Ask him for wisdom. And he promises to give it. All right? Let's continue on. Five wisdom principles for making godly decisions. First, wise decision-making. It's trusting in God. Secondly, it's asking God for wisdom. And thirdly, it searches the scriptures. It searches the scriptures. The sufficiency of scripture. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Proverbs 30, verse 5. You know 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete. And look, equipped for every good work. Do you think that excludes decisions? Do you think that somehow uh, choices are excluded from that? No. The sufficiency of, of scripture is good and it's useful and it's profitable and it's, it's good for correction and training. Why? So you can be complete, not lacking anything, equipped for every good work. We need the revealed truth of God is found in his word. And how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, first we do is identify God's clear commands. We identify his clear commands. You ask yourself, does a course of action in any way violate a clear scriptural mandate or biblical principle? God's will is always obedience to the clear commands of the Bible. All right? In moral decision, and and we we have so many of them, don't we? Moral decisions, right and wrong, something articulated in the word of God, the clear commands of scripture are to be fully obeyed. So should I pursue this guy or girl? Right? According to your eye, attractive, seems friendly, nice. And the first question is not how good they look. Maybe it was. Second quick question should be, are they a believer? Right? 1 Corinthians 7.39, Christians are to marry only in the Lord. There's no debate here. You want to know God's will? That's his will. If he or she is not a believer, that's not his will. Different direction, different course, different door or hallway to walk through. Right out of college, um, as another example, I was an entry-level engineer at a major company, right? First, first job, you know, 20, 23 years old trying to work out uh, the start of my career as an engineer. My first big assignment was researching and, and collecting this data as a team to present this project, right? It was a project for cost-reducing a certain process in the factory where I worked as an engineer back in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, as I got working with the team and started to le- learn the corporate culture there in this 5,000-person factory, right, this big place, and... Um, I started to find out the data and the information 
that I needed with the other team members to present this in front of all the managers, it was all fudged. The data had been cooked. I mean, it was like, it wasn't reality. And I found myself the one who was, my boss said, hey, this would be a great opportunity for you to present this project and work with this team and learn how to find your way. I now had data that's like, it's not real. It's not true. And you find yourself in those dilemmas, and you start thinking of all kinds of ways to justify. How can I, how can I do this in some way that would still be honoring to God, even though the data is not real? And my conscience bothered me with that. And I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I mean, God's commands are clear, aren't they? His revealed will, thou shalt not lie. God hates a lying tongue, and his commands are clear. But boy, following them are hard. And I informed my new boss I couldn't work on that project anymore. Couldn't do it. And I didn't know what the result would be. He, by his grace, chose to keep me. He reassigned me to a different task, a different project. And that was all in God's gracious goodness to me, but it didn't have to be that way. Sometimes those decisions are hard, but yet God's will and his moral will is clear. We must always obey it. Secondly, when we're searching the scriptures, not only identify God's clear commands, but identify commands that, are a neutral, that a neutral choice would violate. When I say neutral, it's not moral or immoral, right or wrong, right? But you have a neutral choice, and you still have to think about commands or principles of scripture that would be violated with one choice or another, okay? Uh, let me give you a decision, or just maybe ask this question. Will a neutral decision in any way compromise or violate another command or principle in Scripture? Right? Even though the decision's neutral. So I, I have this job offer in some faraway land. It may be everything you've dreamed of, and the job in and of itself is a great workplace. It's a good, it, it fits with my, 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 my training. Uh, it, 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 it'll, it'll support my needs financially. It all, it all checks the boxes, right? And then a caring friend asks you, have you started your church search yet? Oh, yeah, I should do that. And you find out, wow, this workplace is in Booneyville, USA, and there's not a church for an hour. And, and, and that's not even a healthy church. And, oh, I'm getting to know you guys. You, you're learning to love a healthy church, and you're seeing the importance of that, and that's God's will for your life. And all of a sudden, you've got to realize, I'm violating a mandate of scripture, right, by choosing this neutral choice, but I'm violating another command. And therefore, I must be more selective and make this part of my decision-making process. I remember my, my first college roommate in, in college. After we graduated, we both got married. He, went to, he was applying for med schools. He had no offers. and He was with a wife and a young child, and he had to food on the table, so he took this teaching job at a Christian school in Florida. He was going to pay a little less than a doctor would, right? But good work, and he was going to teach science, right? Because he did his pre-med degree and all that, and I tell you what, Dan, Dan's dream was to be a doctor. I mean, I, he was my first roommate. He's the first one that shared the gospel with me, and I, I would spend many of those nights with him, two, three in the morning, studying and, and just uh, helping each other get through. Boy, he wanted to be a doctor, but he had been denied. Uh, there were no opportunities. But before the school year started, after he signed the contract to teach at the school, 
a med school calls and says, hey, <laughs> you're on the waiting list, and guess what? We have an opening for you. This is like two weeks before he's supposed to report in teaching, and um, he had a dilemma. I've, given, I've signed a contract, and I've told, and I've committed myself to the school. What do I do? Is God answering a prayer, and is Providence giving me this opportunity? Or, you know, for med school, or is he more testing me? And he chose the latter. He's testing me. He went back to the principles of Scripture. Don't bear false witness. Keep your vows. Character matters. And and Dan chose to fulfill his contract that year and teach at that school. And uh, he had a wife, a young child. You know, they're barely making ends meet with all their school bills. And it was hard, but he entrusted it to the Lord. Now, God... God was good. The next year, he reapplied, and he got in. Now he delivers half the babies in Muncie, Indiana, and drives a nice little yellow sports car to get back and forth to the hospital. Things are going well for Dan. Uh, you know, there's no promised outcome, but what did he do? He did the right thing. He chose God's will, and that's the revealed will. And sometimes a neutral type of situation, do I go here, work there, or work there? Hey, we've got to be careful. We're not violating another command of Scripture. Okay, so we search the scriptures, right? The second thing, we ha- or the, the fourth thing here in our list of things to do in, wise, in five wisdom principles for making godly decisions is wise decision-making does the necessary homework. It does the necessary homework. It has to first start by collecting information personally. I have to be on a quest of getting information. Wisdom needs knowledge, and that takes work. I need data. I need information. It's not the only thing I need, but I must have it. And therefore, I must be invested in this effort. Proverbs 18.13 says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame. We need biblical information. We need practical information. I'm not getting any younger. Either you guys keep getting younger or I'm getting older, all right? I think it's, I'm getting older. Uh, and, you know, Christy and I were starting to think, well, gee, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 60 years old this year. I should, we should start thinking about retirement a little bit. So we, we went to the bookstore, Amazon, retirement for dummies. That's what we're reading, right? Uh, we're getting information. What, what, what things do we need to know? Sometimes it's practical things like that. And sometimes it's just, it, you know, it's biblical information. So we need to collect information personally. We also need to seek advice and counsel from others. It's not just a personal quest for, for information, but wisdom includes advice from others. We need wise counsel. The scriptures say in Proverbs twelve fifteen, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Sometimes, oftentimes, most times, we don't have the answers. I don't know how to skillfully work through the traffic jam. I don't have the information I need or know how to use it. Guess what? You're supposed to ask others that do know how to use it. You need wise counsel. Advice about seeking advice, right? Advice about seeking advice. Find wise people. Don't just find people that give you the answers you want to hear. That's just lying to yourself. You guys are part of a good, healthy local church. And one of the blessings are when you got a dating question, guess what? There's a lot of healthy marriages in a church, and they've been through that dating process before. Talk to them. Get wisdom. 
Don't try to duke it out yourself. Find wise people. If you don't know somebody, ask Clay, ask me, ask a leader. Secondly, advice about seeking advice. Be teachable and transparent. I'm not here just to uh, listen to you and and have you share things with me and then just do what I'm going to do. Be teachable. Remember Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man not just hears advice, he listens to advice. He listens to it. Thirdly, humble yourself to reconsider or alter your plans if wisdom calls for it. Sometimes there's just humility. I need a change of course, or I need to really prayerfully consider this. Wise counsel, it will confirm proper thinking and plans and may also reveal blind spots, right? So go back, digest, rethink, pray again regarding that advice. And finally, advice about seeking advice, take personal responsibility. When things go wrong, when you make decisions, just don't go back and shoot the messenger like, oh, it was this person's advice. No, we take personal responsibility for our decisions and not blaming other people when things don't work out. And finally, in doing the necessary homework of a wise decision maker, evaluate your freedoms. Evaluate your freedoms. Let me tell you something here. Listen to this. Where no command exists, God gives us freedom to decide. Listen to that. Where no command exists, God gives us freedom to decide. There's those areas that the scriptures do not specifically address. We call them neutral, right? And within those boundaries, in knowing the counsel and the word of the Lord, we are free to choose amongst those neutral choices. Isn't that what was before Adam and Eve? In Genesis 2, 16 and 7, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you, must surely eat of ev- you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, this is God's moral will, right? You shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So there was the boundaries, but everything outside that, fulfill the mandate. But you've got the freedom to choose. We don't have to keep looking for every step to take where X marks the spot, trying to find out God's clues and God's ways and what he wants me to do in my next step. You have the freedom to choose as you strive and work at making godly, God-honoring, wise decision. God won't tell you exactly which job offer or precisely from whom you should accept it or Should I date this person? Should I continue to date that person? You know, we apply wisdom to those things, and you have the freedom to decide. There's clear commands in Scripture. I'm not to be a mob assassin, right? I'm not to be a club owner. Uh, I wouldn't recommend going to be a Catholic priest or a nun. Uh, You know, there's clear things. But outside that, what we see neutral, apply wisdom, and you have the freedom to choose, okay? But apply wisdom. Now, here's an eye chart. And if you're a note taker, take a picture, okay? <laughs> We're not going to go through all this. I talked to Christy. Should I include this or not? And I decided to keep it uh, with Christy's counsel. My one and only love. Uh, yes. Weigh 
the purposeful use of freedom. Here's some things to think about. When you're trying to think, what are my motives? How do I really engage and understand and discern whether this particular set of choices, you know, is there anything else I'm not thinking about? Is there anything else that will help me in my decision? Is there anything wrong with the activity? Is it self-serving at the expense of someone else's benefit? Is it something I can thank God for? Is it something that will glorify God, or is it worth imitating? Does it follow the example of Christ? And will my choice affect others around me, or is it beneficial? Is it a practice that over time will tend to master me? Is it constructive? Will it promote spiritual well-being of other believers, even if this is permissible to me? So you see a lot of other things. Our decisions are not just our own. They affect other people. So there are things to think through as you look to God and trust him and, and, and then apply wisdom of his word. I can't tell you the number of times as an engineer I was asked, Rich, I, w- I would like you to be a manager. I want you to manage people. And I, I wanted to camp out in the technical area, but the prospects of leading other people, that's another opportunity. And many people choose that. It's, it, in, in a sense, we could say that hey, that's a neutral thing, right? There's good managers, and God needs Christian managers, and I, God could use me there. But really, it was number seven here. How would that choice affect others? And I looked at my life, and I'm like, and I saw how managers worked in that company and the amount of time and effort I would need to put in there and what that would take away from my family and the ministry we were doing at that time. And I would, I would just respectfully say, no, I can't. I can't do that. There's just other considerations. It's not just whether it's morally neutral or not. We have to think about the purposeful use of freedom. And with that, as we get towards the end of our time here, okay, and we're close to it, five wisdom principles for making godly decisions. You might be looking at all that, and you're going through the decision-making process, and you can check them off. Man, I'm trusting in God. I'm striving to know him and, 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 and understand his disposition towards me, and I'm confident that, that God will use whatever decision I make for his glory to make me more like Christ, and I'm, I'm asking him for wisdom. I don't have it myself, but I'm depending on him, and I'm praying to him, and I'm, I'm beseeching his, his work in my life to help, help me make good and godly decisions according to his words, and, and therefore I'm searching the scriptures and I'm looking at it, I want to know it, and I want to be equipped for every good work. So I, I've talked to counselors, and I've, I've done my, my personal looking at things, and I'm doing all the homework I need to do with all the data and all the knowledge, and there's what it comes down to. Make a decision that agrees with your desires. That's where it all ends. And you look at that and say, that can't be the spiritual answer. Just do what I want to do? I mean, come on. That just doesn't sound very spiritual. What do I desire to do? When you can check the boxes of wise decision-making and the decision makes sense, and if it's what you want to do, then do it. Don't ask for a special sign from God to confirm his will. Yes, don't ignore providential circumstances. We're not ignoring what's in front of us. But listen to this. We don't respond from our circumstances, but rather interpret and respond to them in wisdom, right? So walk by faith. Make God-honoring decisions that coincide with God-honoring, Bible-informed, spirit-led desires. Don't over-spiritualize it. 
Luke 6.45 says this, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. We invariably, we invariably choose to do what we love. And if your love for Jesus is growing, you will naturally grow in making decisions that please the one you so dearly love. John MacArthur, I was reading something here, and he, he said this, People often ask me, why did you choose to become a pastor at Grace Community Church? Here's his answer. And through the years I've said, because I wanted to. <laughs> and then they'll say, but how did you know it was God's will? And my response is, because I wanted to. <laughs> and I believe that if I delight in the Lord, he'll give me the desires of my heart. Look here at what Kevin DeYoung says. And he's a, I, I love Kevin DeYoung, great book, um, just do something. I would, I would encourage you to read that book if you want more on this topic. He says this, so the end of the matter is this. Live for God. Obey the scriptures. Think of others before yourself. Be holy. Love Jesus. And as you do these things, do what else you like, whatever else you like, with whomever you like, wherever you like, and you'll be walking in the will of God. I want to encourage you guys. You know, we looked at all these check marks, right? We look at all the ways of wisdom. And we're looking at all that. Just, it, could, it could just seem overwhelming. How do I do this? Can I do this? It looks like a lot of work. And it is work. The way of wisdom isn't just, God, give me a sign. I must do these things and collect these things and, and pray for these things, right? But be encouraged, okay, to practice and work at acquiring wisdom and then practice it. Let me tell you, for a guy that's been around the block a few more times, as you gain wisdom, as you gain experience, as you gain spiritual maturity, you pray, you seek counsel, you dwell in the word. And through godly diligence, what you will do is you'll cultivate a garden, the garden of your heart. And in time, with God's grace, you'll see a harvest of God-honoring decisions that in time just become more spontaneous. And they become more natural where you can, like Colossians 1.10, to, you can start beginning to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. How do we find that wisdom? Where do we start? Where do we go? It's right here, Proverbs 2, 1 through 6. Put your name there. Receive his words, treasure them, seek them, incline your heart to them. Walk the way of wisdom, and God will give it for your decisions that are important to you and important to him, all right?